DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. I think we need to begin by looking at definitions first and foremost. We can start just generally with what the Catholic social teaching is that everybody kind of agrees with, and that's a series of, of authentic, authoritative teaching that comes from the Catholic Church. You can find it in the Catechism. It comes mainly from a number of encyclicals that have been put forward by popes, starting with Pope Leo XIII in 1891. But it also includes, for instance, the document Gaudium et Spes from the Second Vatican Council, uh, or Dignitatis Humanae on Religious Freedom from the same council. It also includes radio messages from Pope Pius XII that touched on the subject. But by and large, it really draws from authoritative encyclical teaching that comes from the pontiffs. Now, why social teaching? Well, it, it addresses how we live out our life in the everyday as Catholics. What the popes have been very clear about in their encyclicals is that this is a teaching that touches upon the vocation of the layperson in, in a very particular way, that it's through this social activity that we're invited to partake in, that we start to live out our life in evangelical zeal in bringing about the good news to the world. Paul VI and Benedict XVI have been very clear about it, the evangelical nature of the social doctrine. So it's our... It's the way we practically live out our Catholic life into the world, bringing that love of Christ to others. Knowing how to function, how to live that out, is an essential, not only our spiritual life, but in our interaction as citizens in that world. No, you're absolutely right. There's that old Latin saying, lex orandi, lex credendi. You know, the law of prayer is the law of believing. And, and part of that saying it refers to liturgy, that what we believe ends up flowing out from us naturally, organically, through, through worship. But there's also the notion, as the Benedictines would say, you know, the ora et labora, that, that in prayer there's also a kind of relationship with our labor, with our work, with what, how we act, the way we behave. And, and pretty much universally, depend, you know, in, in de, independent from what religion you belong to, all the vast, wonderful spiritualities that exist recognize that for spirituality to be deeply interior, it has to manifest itself out in relationship. It has to manifest itself out in activity. You ought to change in your behavior as a human person based on what it is you believe. Uh, and so we see the wonderful, in the social doctrine, we see the wonderful relationship, symbiotic relationship between what we believe, the what, what we, the doctrine, and the way we behave, our function, our, our, our dealings with others in the world. We can see that played out in 
two spheres, because as you were speaking, I was thinking of the example of St. Therese Mm. in a Carmelite cloister, essentially. There she had to interact with others, and how she interacted affected her life. Then there are those like a Jane de Chantal or Mm. a Vincent de Paul who interacted with the world, with the poor, and yet still had that deep interiority. Exactly right. Mother Teresa, of course, is another grand example of just that very Mm -hmm. same thing. Uh, And this is why Pope Benedict, in uh, his document, God is Love, draws on Mother Teresa's example as as saying that the the reason she was able to do the work she was able to do in the poor was because of her interior relationship, her, her her habit of contemplative relationship with Christ in the Eucharist. Yes, that's, uh, that's exactly right. That the, it, it gets played out in different ways, uh, in vocations, but it's all the same mission of, of allowing the interior relationship with Christ to bleed out into how we behave uh, with others, whether it's in the cloister or whether it's in the grocery store. Our late great Holy Father John Paul also lifted up those men and women who were not necessarily members of the religious state, the technical definition of that, and of course I'm thinking of men and women like St. John of Bratamala and also Pier Giorgio Frassati, Mm -hmm. that those people had to interact and engage the world where they were at, whether it was working in a hospital or home with their family or out dealing with the poor and all their different, or in the body politic. Yes, that's right, yeah. These are legitimate realms within which we are we are to behave in, and, and the wonderful thing about the social teaching is that it's not just that we're invited or we're allowed to involve ourselves or, or bring our faith life into these realms. We're definitively called by virtue of the fact that we're laypersons into these realms so that we can transform them, and in the process of transforming them, bring about our own transformation. We think of, you know, Matthew 25, our call to serve the least of these. This is, and this is the basis of judgment that Christ uses. This is precisely an integral part of who we are as Catholic Christians. And so it's, it's instructive for us when looking at what the social teaching is to understand that this is not really optional. This is not just a suggestion. This is authentic, authoritative teaching about how we go about living out our lives. Now, it's not going to be you know, they're not going to tell you what brand of fabric software to wear. It's not going to be in an encyclical, but, it's, but it is going to be specific principles by which you can guide your life. For a Catholic in particular who is out in the world, mm. trying to determine then in the grand complexity of our everyday interaction what decisions to make, whether it comes down to, so obviously in some ways a political candidate, how do we base our vote? or even the products that we should purchase yeah. and what by our involvement in the economy. How mm. does that affect others? On so many other different levels, Catholic social teaching affects virtually, if not every aspect of our life. Yeah, absolutely. And part of the reason for that is because the Catholic social teaching understands or approaches the question of, of how we live out our life based upon our, our understanding of our fundamental human dignity. The Catholic social teaching has a very specific anthropology, a specific understanding of what human nature is. And so its teaching affects or touches on all aspects of our human nature. This is precisely why it isn't just about, although certainly you know, the, the most tantalizing things about politics, but also about art 
and, and literature and family and fabric softener and all the various things that touch our lives because they touch on who we are as human nature. This is part of the legacy of, of John Paul the Great, you know, that our fundamental human dignity teaches us in the theology of the body that the way we act communicates truth, communicates reality, communicates something that we hold dear to us. And so every single aspect, therefore, of our lives takes on that much more weight so that it is communicative. And so we need to, to interpret that in light of what we say we believe. We're called to universal holiness, to be saints. Mm -hmm. In the truest sense of the form, that attaining that goal of holiness means embracing the wholeness of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely perfect. Yeah, exactly right. And this is a theme through the social teaching that, that the popes talk about. They'll use phrases like integral human development, complete development or progress, although they try to take a, stay away from the word progress. But the notion is that, that we have to have this fundamental understanding that we are both an imminent creature with a physical self, but also transcendent spiritual side, that it's the whole person we need to take into account. It's all people and the whole person. And Pope Paul VI really focused in on that particular theme in his document, Popolorum Progressio, in 1967. When the person says, oh, I can't be holy. Mm. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, right. Oh, yes, you can. And there's a whole cloud of witnesses up there to say, if we can do it, you can too. It's a great point because I think this is where sometimes we get lost with the whole the, the spirit of Vatican II and what Vatican II meant. The unfortunate thing sometimes is that when people approach the social teaching or the doctrines of the faith in the spirit of Vatican II, there's a kind of dumbing down almost that, well, the, the bishops can't possibly expect us to live up to this fantastic standard of a St. Francis or Mother Teresa. And so what we do now must be good enough. We need to, to, be, we need to settle with the way we behave now in our own particular individual private lives and make that holy instead of actually drawing us to something grander. But it's that, it's that something grander that Vatican II is calling us to. Gaudium et Spes is very clear, paragraph 10, that yes, we recognize that we have failings, but we're called to something transcendent. There's something within the human person that notices we're called to something more. We're called to something grander and beyond ourselves. Dignitatus Humanae, also from Vatican II, on the document of religious liberty, starts off with the premise that within the human person we're called to understanding the truth, particularly the truth about God and what our relationship with him ought to be. So we, there is this call. We are called to be something grander, and it's a wonderful invitation because it presumes that we can do it. You know, as an analogy, we, we, you have the, you know, these days you, you tell me you're raising teenagers. You'd like your teenager not to drink and drive or not to engage in premarital sex or any number of the various things, but you, you don't want them to, to then to give them beer and, and keys mm -hmm. uh, because, well, you can't help it. You're, you're only a teenager. You can't possibly be responsible for yourself, so I simply want you to be, be safe. That's an insult to the teenager. And likewise, it would be an insult to us as Catholics to say, well, you stay where you're at, comfortable in your life. Don't stretch yourself too much. We can't possibly expect you, the you know, average lay person you, mm -hmm. to be holy. Uh, that's an insult. Mm -hmm. That's insulting to the lay person. The Holy Fathers and, and the Church and the Second Vatican Council is calling us to something grander, uh, to, to inherit the wonder that who we are. So we have, ultimately, God in paragraph 22 will say, is that Christ reveals us to ourselves, that he reveals to us our fullest potential, what we can be, 
the glory of that. And and once we have that grasp and that what we're capable of, then to, to try to guide us along that path in our everyday life. There is a beautiful simplicity, really, to Catholic social teaching. Mm-hmm. But it is really a fact of our own darkened nature. Sometimes we don't see it. And the church has essentially five points that we can ground ourselves on in this process of discerning the Catholic social teaching. Yes. Now, there was a, a compendium that came out in 2005 that not a lot of people are still very aware of, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I've taken from the compendium, which I highly recommend everybody getting, uh, and taken five basic points. And the first of them is Jesus Christ. The second one is you know communion instead of opposition. The third is look, judge, act. Uh, the fourth are the four values, uh, truth, freedom, justice, and love. And the fifth are the five principles, which we'll get to at some other time. Common good, a universal destination of good, subsidiarity, participation, and solidarity. Mm-hmm. But the first of them is Jesus Christ. And that has to be the first thing. Look, everybody's probably heard the phrase social justice, and they've heard it in any number of various contexts, probably. Mm-hmm. Glenn Beck talks about it. Doug Kimmick talks about it. The guy who's in charge of Catholics for Free Choice, the pro-abortion Catholic group, they talk about social justice. Everybody talks about and claims social justice for their own various little particular. Unfortunately, it has become a word that is negative in, mm. in most places. I mean, it is becoming a, a source of derision and disunity. <laughs> no, you're absolutely... Yeah, no, that's true. And actually, it shouldn't be. It's a glorious term. It is a glorious term. And it's, you know, I, I had a priest friend uh, that I know who, who was older and gone through seminary back in the 70s. And he said, you know, after my experience with social justice in the 70s, I never want to have anything to do with it ever again. It wasn't until recently he started discovering the, the beauty of the teaching, which is right there for anybody to see in the encyclicals. And it's so wonderfully laid out for us in the compendium. But the point is that it has to be, it has to start there in Christ Jesus because so much of social justice that has come forward, and yes, come forward even in in things like liberation theology or certain kinds of liberation theology, a lot of social justice denies Christ. And I mean that quite literally. There's a, a very popular program out there right now that actually includes materials that deny the divinity of Christ several times over, that deny any sort of salvific work on his part. And, and it stems from a, a faulty understanding of the human person. But in order, to, again, to try to, to, to fulfill their own agenda, they, they need to get rid of this notion of a divine Christ because they would say that a Christ who is divine or an emphasis on, on the next life or on salvation in, in some heavenly realm, that, that must necessarily take away from our emphasis on the poor here. Well, it's a false dichotomy, and it's a bad argument especially if you look at the lives of the saints. But the focus has to be on Christ Jesus, because it is Christ Jesus who reveals us to ourselves. It is Christ Jesus who, who demonstrates to us what true liberation means and what true liberation can be for the individual human person. It's interesting that taking out of Jesus Christ out of the heart of mm. Catholic social teaching was also occurring around the same time he was to being taken out of the heart of our worship services, out of uh-huh. the liturgy, when the focus became on the people and the items in the church became objects of reverence. And we had it in the songs became all about me mm-hmm. and Jesus, but it was always me. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's right. and it is really very telling now, even within the liturgy, mm-hmm. we are being called back to why are we here to worship 
him. That's right. To worship him and to pay honor and due to him and then to go out and love and serve him out there in the world. Exactly. No, that's it's it's interesting you point that out because I think some of the the, the new translation in the, in the in the missile that's coming out is a sign of the effort to try to get us back to that focus that it's it's about God. So we need to look at how we're talking to God right. and to try to elevate that language. But it's true. I mean, when I read and looked at the way some social justice thinkers and authors look at liturgy, oftentimes they place the emphasis or value in the Eucharistic celebration merely on the level of community, that the, the, the goodness of the Eucharist or the goodness of the Mass is in its emphasis on communion and on solidarity instead of it being on Christ Jesus, who is the purpose for our communion. That's right. It's all in the paradigm because mm. it's, first, it's that vertical, first yes. to him and then out through the rest of us. Exactly. And they've taken it the other way. Right. Horizontal is where they're, they're at. And unfortunately, we never lift our eyes then up. No. Or our hearts. Or our hearts. We yeah, lift we, them up to the Lord. Exactly. And we leave them here. Uh, mm-hmm. We leave them here in our brother. And, and the danger ends up becoming, of course, and I've seen this as well, I'm sure a lot of us have, that we attempt to raise up the horizontal to the level of God. We, we create our own little deities. And so you have some authors, Father Albert Nolan, for instance, who will say things like, um, that the world is is basically God's manifestation of himself, that, that God's relationship with the created world is the same relationship that our souls have with our bodies. Wow, that's really not the case. It, it brings God down in an attempt to try to divinize the material world in ourselves in a way that is first, you know, simply just wrong according to the Catholic Church doctrine, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also dangerous for what it can do then to social justice and how we approach each other. Because at the end of the day, as, as a lot of people have also probably heard, the emphasis can sometimes be in certain social justice circles on fixing this world by any means necessary. And that any effort to thwart that or any lack of zeal in trying to change this world is a sign of weakness uh, and a sign of getting away from what they feel ought to be the role of the church. When we talk about the presence of Jesus Christ in particular in the life of the church, there is a a very beautiful emphasis, and Mother Teresa is one who called us to see Christ in the person that we're in front of, that Christ dwells, St. Paul, Mm -hmm. he dwells within us. And that's so essential. We cannot lose sight, though, of the fullness of that presence where he does dwell within the heart of the church. Yes, exactly right. He, He dwells in the message of the church as well. And so it's very, very important, this first point in Catholic social teaching, to appreciate the presence of Christ in the truth, and he is the way, the light, the truth, Yes, that what the church is teaching is the teaching of Jesus Christ, and to follow that as, and re- reverence that as well as our neighbor. Exactly. Yeah, the corollary to putting Christ at the center is that Christ gave us the means by which we can know him, and that's the church. Now, again, Gaudium et Spes, which is this beautiful document from the Second Vatican Council on the social teaching, chapter 4 of that first section, which was written by the young Karavoitiwa, the point of that is to say, what is the role of the church in this? The role of the church is to bring us Christ, to introduce us to Christ, so that we can then take Christ to the rest of the world. But that requires that we first recognize that that church 
yes, the hierarchy, yes, yes, the the Pope in Rome, and, and yes, that beautiful relationship that the Holy Father has with the the people, the servus of our own day, the servant of the servants of God. That's who the Holy Father is. That He is the representative of Christ for us. That He can bring to us the message of Christ and how that is to be played out in our lives. Leo the Thirteenth and Pius the Eleventh and Pius the Twelfth and and all the rest of the great Holy Fathers say very clearly in these encyclicals that that they're speaking on these issues of social teaching because it is an aspect of their apostolic gift. It is an aspect of their apostolic obligation to provide us what Christ would want us to do in certain situations. I'll put the grill in the middle of the room, okay? Put them right out there and just say what it is. It's a wheel that's revolving. They're on the other side of that wheel on the downward trend Mm. and disappearing. But there are those who will negate whatever the church has to say because they don't like on the issue of, say, women's ordination Mm -hmm. or on priesthood and whether or not they carry through with the discipline of celibacy and therefore should there be married priests. Mm -hmm. There are those two particular issues at heart where those in social teaching areas will pick up bits and pieces and like what the church says. But when it comes to that, they don't. Mm. So the integrity of the totality of teaching falls apart like something going through cheesecloth. I mean, it just it can't sustain itself, can it? No, and this is actually, it's it's a point that Pope Benedict XVI made several times in his last encyclical on on the social teaching, the Caritas and Veritate, where he, he mentions, you know, in deference to Pope Paul VI about the integrated human development, about, you know, the whole person... He also talks about an integrated doctrine, an integrated social doctrine, integrated social teaching. Uh, and the image is really qu- quite simple. When you think of the, the term integrated, what does that mean? Uh, something that's living is integrated so that if you, if you take off a part of it, you know, it affects the rest. It's not a machine, whereas if you take out a, you know, a bolt, it may not function, but the other bolts don't care. <laughs> The other gears and things aren't affected directly. Uh, they just can no longer interact with that particular thing that's now gone. Not the case with something that's integrated. Not the case with something that's organic. When you take apart, when you take it away, when you, when you move something, you affect the whole. And it's the same thing with doctrines, the same thing with our social teaching and the rest of the teachings of the church. It's integrated. It's an organic whole. And if you start picking apart little things in this, this grand effort towards, you know, the cafeteria Catholicism or whatever it is you want to call it, you start taking away those little bits, you do affect the rest of the teaching because it's all interrelated. And so it becomes remarkably difficult then for someone to take you seriously when you're lifting up the social teaching of the church as authoritative, and yet, you know, on the side you're saying, well, the popes can't tell me whether or not I can contracept. The popes, you know, the popes are wrong on this or that the other thing. There's an inconsistency there which one has to deal with but the wonder of that, you know, even blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman shows us is that there is a, an organic, integrated development in our doctrine that is, when looked upon by someone with the open mind, is as beautiful as any work of, of Mozart or Bach. This understanding of the integration is essential to anybody who wants to go out and evangelize the church. Mm. Because without the understanding of that integration, how can you possibly have integrity in the eyes of anyone who has ears to hear yes. or eyes to see? How will it speak of a solid rock foundation if there's, well, I like this, but I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I can give you a proof text on the Immaculate Conception, 
but I don't accept contraception right. or, I, or the church's teaching, therefore, on that particular piece. It, it's vital for anyone who wants to go out and evangelize to have that integration. And, and we're not the only ones who recognize that. I have a number of evangelical Protestant friends who, who are interested in the Catholic Church precisely because of the social teaching. That's another thing we have to be aware of as Catholics is that, that this is really unique stuff that we have. We've been gifted quite peculiarly as Catholics to have this social teaching, and we're the envy of a number of other faiths and denominations. And these evangelical friends of mine who are interested in the Church through the social teaching mentioned very quite very clearly that that why is it that the church allows some of the things to happen that happen why is it that it's so difficult to find in some of their cases to find catholics who are able to say i believe in everything that the catholic church teaches and not just in those things that i i want but this integrated notion of the social teaching also touches on what you were saying before which is that that integrated whole within ourselves that this is not just something we ascend to intellectually and then ignore in our actual private lives but it's something that we allow to seep into and affect our, our inner being and so that it does, it does result in or manifest itself in, in, in differences of action. We're always going to sin. We're always going to fail. We're always going to mess up. I don't always live up to the ideals that I would like to. That's the struggle towards sanctity. Uh, but I recognize throughout my struggles and failings that there is something that I'm being called to, some, some grander project, and that's the, the project of integration. Number one principle is Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That's precisely right. What Benedict XVI has said and a number of the other Holy Fathers have said is that when we're looking at what charity can be, uh, the work of charity, the work of social justice, we have to ground that in, in the truth of the human person and that fundamental dignity. If it is true what Gaudium says in paragraph 22 that Christ reveals us to ourselves, then we have to know who Christ is. We have to enter into relationship with him. And the glory of the Christian uh, revelation is that truth, that the interior desire and impetus within the, the, the natural human person, pagan or not, this desire for truth is in the Christian revelation a person. Truth has a human face, and that is Christ Jesus. Entering into relationship with Christ, therefore, allows us to have an opportunity to understand and know what truth is in a way that would be inaccessible to anyone else. Christ reveals our deepest selves to ourselves. And so you know, reminded with you know, St. Augustine who says, when he didn't know Christ, I was hiding myself from myself. That there is a kind of a block, this result of original sin and, and sin within us that keeps us from being able to see who we really are and our greatest potential. But it's not some ethereal notion, not some theology course you need to take, no book that you need to read or, or workshop. It is a relationship with a person, a living person, who is truth and will show you the grandeur of who you can be. Thank you, Omar. You're welcome. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization 
through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.